0: Hello, Scrum listeners. This is Adam Riley, and you're about to hear a special live episode recorded at the Brass Union in Somerville, where we talked about the state of the MBTA under Charlie Baker and the Green Line extension. Stay tuned afterward for WGBH Statehouse reporter Mike Deans interview with Somerville Mayor Joe Curtatone, who showed up right after the proceedings had wrapped up. And as always, thanks for listening. Hello to all of you, and thank you for coming to this very special live-to-tape edition of The Scrum, which is a podcast that we do at WGBH News about politics. I'm Adam Riley. I'm a reporter at WGBH, and what I'm hoping we are going to do today is talk about the state of the MBTA under Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. As most of you probably remember all too well, The T was basically broken when Governor Baker took office. It had been ground to a halt in that horrific winter of 2014 and 2015. But a fair amount of time has passed since then, and the governor has had at least a chance to start making his mark on the T. So what I'm hoping we can do here is talk about what is working under the Baker administration and what maybe is still not working as well as it ought to be. We are here at Brass Union having this conversation, uh, which is, how would you describe this place, Mike? It's, to my unassuming every man's eye, it's sort of a fancy hoity-toity upscale bar right in the middle of Union Square, the likes of which we didn't have when I lived here a long time ago. You're yeah, I, I, I would
1: say that that makes it about middle brow for uh, Somerville <laughs> these days, if it's hoity-toity.
0: So uh, it's a wonderful place, and we're very happy to uh, be here. So we are you, here Union. because, A, it's a bar, and, B... If everything works the way it's supposed to, and that is a very, very big if, at some point in the not-too-distant future, Union Square is going to get one of those stops on the long-awaited Green Line extension, which we'll be talking more about later. Uh, Before we get going, two quick uh, disclaimers or bits of disclosure I need to offer. The first is that after taking the T to work for years, I no longer take it. I take it very rarely, maybe if I'm going into the city with my kids. And the reason is... I live. Why don't you chill out? I'll tell you why. I live two blocks away from the Swampscott commuter rail station, and it takes me about an hour and 45 minutes to get from there to WGBH's offices in Brighton. I have to take the commuter rail into North Station, walk to Charles MGH, take the Red Line outbound to either Kendall or Central, and then hop on a bus. Which Drops me off right at work, but it takes a really, really long time. And again, that's if everything's going the way it's supposed to, and often it doesn't. And for me, the duration and the difficulty of that trip are, are deal breakers. But I would love to be able to take it, and I've said, I think, on our airwaves that I am sort of selfishly pulling for the north south rail link. And I know there are questions surrounding it, but it would make my life personally a lot easier. So the second disclaimer is that I did not plan this event. This was the brainchild of Mike Dean who covers the state house for WGBH News and is on our panel of expert guests. Mike came up with the venue. Mike booked the other guests. Uh, and Mike came up with the idea when it comes to the theme. So, Mike, thank you for doing all of that. Very uh, happy That to. being said, I guess the final exhortation before we turn to our guests would be, we have a small audience here, and I think there is plenty of room for anyone who wants to hop in and ask a question or make a point uh, or, you know, take issue with something that our panelists have said or that I've said, please feel free to do it. Just wave your hand. We'll get you the microphone. Um, The more organic this is, both between our panelists and between our panelists and the people who've shown up in the audience, the better it will be. So now that I've said all that, our guests are Jim Aloisi, former Massachusetts Secretary of Transportation and frequent commenter on transportation issues. Is that a fair intro? Should I include anything else? All right. We also have State House News Service reporter Andy Metzger, Danielle McLean, formerly of the Somerville Journal, and now off to a new job at is it the Bangor Daily News? Did I get it right? You got it right. Don't yeah. call it banger.
2: No, don't call it banger. Uh, and it's, it's an investment. Don't call it banger. They get mad about that. All right. Yeah. Bangor Daily News. Bangor.
0: And as I mentioned already, Mike Dean, who is the State House reporter for WGBH. So my first question is A very straightforward one. Is the T as a system substantially better today than it was when Charlie Baker was inaugurated as governor? If so, why? And if not, why not?
1: I'll answer that first. I think uh, Charlie Baker was inaugurated about two weeks before the biggest disaster in the T's history. Uh, It has been extraordinary his entire tenure I guess as far as transit has been extraordinary because of that incident because of what was revealed um, so, You know, a lot of people kind of knew what was going on before uh, and a lot of these things were leading up to it and there's plenty of of blame to go around, I imagine, but that is kind of where the governor came in. That winter was remarkable for him. It really was his entry into this, and I think what caused him to really go hard and push for the fiscal management control board, which is uh, the the group of people that Baker now has basically running the T to try to get it back on track.
0: So, Mike, do you think that uh, in making the structural change that you talked about with the control board, has that resulted in changes that for riders, people taking the system on a daily basis that make it better or or more reliable, uh, whatever your metric is for better than it used to be? Or is it too early to say?
1: I would say it is too early to say. I'm sure there's lots of data that can be aggregated, and we can say that you know, surveys show that rider satisfaction is up or that on-time performance is up. Uh, it's coming up very, very slowly. Uh, the structural deficit is being uh, attended to, again, very, very slowly, and it seems like they're making some of the changes that they need to, but
3: these are extremely long-term changes to problems that are decades old.
0: All right, who's next?
3: I'll go I'll just say the tea is a great story because every morning and every evening people have opinions on their commute and what happened, and oftentimes it's bad and then there's this whole other story about the kind of the more structural <coughs> issues with with the tea that probably do take a lot more time. I'll say having observed the tea both before and after this control board was put in place there is so much more conversation about the problems and it seems like every other week they're opening some door and just discovering something that needs a lot of attention and there's lots of different opinions on how you do that with the current workforce or by outsourcing but um, yeah I don't I don't know that there's been any kind of measurable Better performance of the T that the people are really recognizing. Yeah. Can you just
0: expand on that contrast with the Patrick administration? What was it like when Patrick was governor?
3: Well, when Patrick was governor, there was a MassDOT board that would then adjourn its meeting and uh, reconvene as the MBTA board, and they'd spend a couple hours or so every month dealing with the MBTA, maybe approving a contract, and it just was nothing like the almost weekly. Lengthy, involved meetings that the control board has.
4: Huh, Jim Well, so I was secretary of transportation before there was a MassDOT. I mean, I I was one of the people who created MassDOT. So we had a separate MBTA board, as we had a separate Turnpike Authority board, as we had a separate Massport board, which we still do. So I spent a lot of time going to board meetings, and chairing board meetings. I don't think it's a no governor in the first year and a half, two years, can, can turn the ship of the T around. It's, it's it's too big. It's too complex. I think that uh, one thing I would say is that um, this governor has done an exceedingly good job hiring very good people, uh, whether it's Secretary Pollack, whether it's uh, Joe Aiello, who's chairman of the Fiscal and Management Control Board. These are people who, if I were... Governor, I would appoint. I mean, they're very capable people. So the quality of appointments is, is quite high. I think the question going forward is, is there a, is there a desire, is there a will, is there a, an ability to grapple with the issues that need to be addressed? If you really want to turn the T into the kind of public transportation system we all want and expect it to be. First item on that agenda is a $7 billion state of good repair gap for which we still have no clear comprehensive
0: plan to respond to. For people in the audience, and many of the people here will know what you mean by that, many people who listen to this online will know what you mean, but for anyone who doesn't, what's a state of good repair gap? So what the
4: T's own Fiscal Management Control Board has, has uh, acknowledged is that there is at least $7 billion worth of, of maintenance, repair, replacement work that needs to be done to bring the T up to a standard where it would be considered well-maintained, right? That includes everything from electric systems and signal systems to, to track work to a variety of things. And so we all know who used the system that it's old and that it has been, in my judgment, chronically underfunded for many, many years. Um, That number tells us that story in stark detail. Uh, The question going forward is, now that we know that the system is capably led, is well led, um, is there the will, is there the desire to move ahead on the hard work of finding the revenue necessary to make that gap, to
0: close that gap? I'm glad you brought up the revenue question. Hold that thought. We'll get back to it in a second. But, Danielle McLean, what do you think?
2: Well, I think it's great that they're that they're trying to, you know, cover that good state of good repair gap, and I think that's very important. I think, you know, I think a lot of riders of the, of the T are very happy about that. I think one thing that I've been hearing from the Baker administration that I think some would argue might be a little short-sighted is that um, – they're not going to invest in any long-term expansion plans until the until the state of good return uh, or grid repair is completed. Um, there's a huge housing crisis here, and not just in Somerville, but the entire region. If you go anywhere inside the 495 belt, um, and I've covered a lot of community you know, for Gatehouse Media for the last four years. Um, Housing prices are going skyrocket. There's a lack of housing. There's a serious lack of housing, and um, it by not investing in public transportation, people can't afford to live inside the urban core anymore. So people who um, you know can't afford cars or can't afford to park in the city all the time, they um, you know they they struggle to get jobs. They struggle to you know get to work in Boston every single day. You need public transportation that expands beyond just this immediate urban core. You need some expansion projects coming up in the near future to address this housing crisis.
0: Just so I'm clear on what you're saying, are you arguing that it would be beneficial to have the system more expanded out into uh, the, the distant suburbs because it would give more people who work in the city access to affordable or more affordable housing? Is that the yeah, point or so i Yeah, so people wrong? can okay. have
2: access people in, in more affordable housing and more affordable areas can still commute and take the T to work or take the commuter rail to, um, to work in Boston. and,
4: and Do you know what, Can gotcha. I just jump in really yeah. quickly? And that is a really important point. Two, two points. There is, anybody who lives in, in the greater Boston area knows what's going on with the price of housing. There's a lot of displacement going on. And what we need to be thinking about, what the team needs to be thinking about, is where are those people who are being displaced going? We have fixed bus routes, for example. Those are, those are traditionally set for decades, but are they still responsive to where people are moving to? Are they still responsive to where people are living? One of the issues that we need to grapple with is this issue of displacement, and is the public transportation system continuing to be fully responsive to those people? The other thing that you said I want to focus on, we need to continue, in my view, to pursue and to implement strategic expansions of the system. What do I mean by that? You know, the, this trite expression, you have to chew gum and walk at the same time. Yes, we have a $7 billion state of good repair gap, but if we don't continue to have strategic expansions of the system, we'll never catch up. Green Line Extension, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, is one of those strategic uh, expansions. I would say connecting the Blue Line and the Red Line is another. Bringing the Silver Line to Chelsea is a third. When you think about the Silver Line 1 service in the Seaport District, it's at capacity. That's our innovation district. That's a high-growth district. We need to be thinking about how to expand that as well, probably, in my view, with Bus Rapid
0: Transit. Since you brought up the Green Line extension, let's talk about it now, because I think that's probably of interest to a lot of people who actually showed up to listen to this and also to people who are on our panel. As, again, many people know, the Green Line extension that is now slated to come to pass is a lot less flashy than it looked under the Patrick administration, but it's happening. It hasn't been axed. I'm wondering if you up here on the panel, and, and again, anyone in the audience, there's a lot of very knowledgeable people out here who I'd love to have hop in, are the reductions or, or uh, diminishments made to the Green Line project are they just cosmetic? Are they things that really can be done without without any sort of uh, pain to riders? Or is, is the, the new version of the Green Line substantially inferior to what had been planned, say, five years ago?
2: Well, I think one of the most inferior cuts that was made to the Green Line Extension project was the, um, was the community path and some of the changes made to the community path. Uh, riding along McGrath Highway is dangerous. Um, I think anybody who's ever ridden a bike in Somerville and tried to ride to East Somerville or tried to ride to Boston um, and has had to ride along the, the McGrath Highway um, would tell you that it is incredibly dangerous. It's three we, lanes
0: each way, is that right? Yeah, it's, a, right? it's a highway. It's yeah. a little
2: mini highway. It's a two-lane highway. It's, um, so having to continue riding your bike along the, along the community path, I think, is... Um, also short-sighted. Danielle,
0: give me a, a quick refresher. Where was that community path supposed to run originally? Oh, gosh. Um, or was... anyone else? I think we have someone here from the mayor's office who might want to uh, clarify where the community path was supposed to go. Just. Uh, thanks,
5: Alex. I'd love to. Um, does it make sense to grab a microphone? It does. I appreciate it. Do you identify yourself
0: Hi, everybody. Brad Rawson.
5: I'm a Somerville resident. I work in Mayor Curtatone's office. I'm his point person on transportation planning and on the Green Line specifically. Really appreciate WGBH and all you folks coming out here. And I see a lot of friends uh, in the audience who have been fighting the good fight uh, on uh, transportation reform in the Commonwealth as well as the Green Line story in Somerville for longer than the nine years that I've been here. So um, to add to Danielle's points, um, yes, the redesigned, the austere, the slimmed-down version of the Green Line extension proposal is painful. It's brutal. Uh, Chairman Aiello used that specific word because they were in triage mode, life or death, uh, back in November of 2015 uh, and December of 2016. And even up until the May 9th vote, um, folks, one of the things that it's important to uh, our mayor is going to be here a little bit later, uh, but it's important for us to communicate to our constituents, to our regional allies, that the Green Line is not saved yet. The May 9th vote uh, in the affirmative uh, that the control boards made was an important step towards saving the Green Line, but we're not out of the woods yet. Mastio is in important uh, negotiations right now with the Federal Transit Administration with a ticking clock represented by the Obama administration leaving office in Washington quite soon. And it was very, very clear to the mayor, uh, to our board of aldermen, and to many of our regional partners that it was an existential threat to the Green Line. Uh, And that's part of the reason that we have had to essentially grit our teeth as a community and be okay with What is unquestionably an inferior product But guess what, the alternative was worse And so we have said a hundred times That we actually support the governor's approach We support Secretary Secretary Pollock's work The staff and the fiscal and uh, mass DOT boards Making the hard decisions To try to not lose the billion from Washington And make sure we have some version of a green line We've got seven stations We've got light rail service that's at the headways That are baked into the federal government's uh, uh, contract And we have a portion of the community path We're not giving up the fight or relinquishing our rights to make sure that we get the rest of the path.
0: Where is the community path going to run?
5: Now. What's the so, folks may be able to see in their mind's eye, today, there's a temporary terminus right in the heart of Somerville on Lowell Street by the Maxwell's Green Transit Oriented Development Site uh, near a visiting nurse uh, association uh, assisted living facility in the heart of Somerville. The idea is that it would extend along uh, another couple of miles uh, downtown towards uh, the Museum of Science. And uh, my friend Alan Moore, who's co-president of the Friends of the Community Path, who's been, again, doing the advocacy work for longer than I can uh, have been, can, can, can weigh in on this stuff. The current proposal that is being considered by the Mass DOT team and the feds is to have another temporary terminus at Washington Street, halfway between Sullivan Square and uh, Union Square in Somerville. Um, and that is a painful, painful compromise that we have had to wrap our minds around collectively.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, and by the way, don't go far away because I want to get you back in here. Do you guys agree with him? We heard the Curtatoni uh, administration perspective about the cuts to the green line being brutal. Uh, do you agree? Is that a fair adjective? Mike Dean?
1: I, I think it's important to keep in mind that what the federal government is measuring in order to give us that $1 billion in funds, they're reevaluating the project right now, is ridership. And I think a lot of the changes that the team made to cut back on these stations, on the community path, on the construction elements of everything, uh, did not impact ridership. So what, you know, it has to have the same number of people. Plan A and Plan B have about the same number of riders. Uh, so in that way no it really won't affect too too much. It'll affect convenience, it'll affect the lifestyle here in Somerville, it'll affect a, a number of things, but might not a of, little of off home seats, prices
0: right just a tiny bit.
1: Oh of, co- of course obviously but it's number number of butts and seats, number of people riding those trains uh, are going to be net neutral. Right, according anyone, to
0: the feds that's what the feds else are looking for. One in on this or should I move on to another question? Andy Matzker. Well,
3: well, well, it's not insignificant. I mean, they're changing out the stations for sort of what you have in Newton, where it's it's almost like a commuter rail stop, and the green line still pulling up. It's the green line, but the green line still <laughs> pulling up. Uh, but it's not insignificant. But uh, like Mike said, the Fed so far seemed to say this pretty much does what the original more, uh, uh, m- you know, bigger – plan, ambitious, thank you, plan uh, had. So, yeah, right. that's what I'd say. And, Jim, I know you well, wanted
4: to I, say something. I'm not against the pared-down green line if it saves the green line, but I would say this. If you were building a, a highway and you said, well, you know, we're getting, we're short on funds, I guess we'll, we'll just take out a breakdown lane. That's okay, right? No one would say that because no one would put, put people's safety in jeopardy putting pedestrians, bicyclists onto McGrath Highway might do that. And so I think sometimes we, are, we have moved from an auto-centric time to a very different era. And this is not only a techno-centric era, but it's an era where people have very different expectations about personal mobility. And if we're not mindful about their preferences, about their desires, about their safety whether it's cycling lanes or complete streets, for increments of additional cost to keep those people safe and to encourage the kind of multimodal non-carbon footprint mobility yeah. that we want to encourage. We need to think about whether we're making the right decision when we say we're, gonna, we're just not going to build something that's going to respond to this. people.
0: You may have uh, anticipated where I'm going with this next question, but I'm wondering, and and again, all of you in the audience, don't hesitate to run up here and grab the microphone, but for the panel, is there anything that Governor Baker and the members of of his administration have not done when it comes to the T that has made you scratch your head and think, wait, this is such an obvious solution or an obvious approach to take. Why aren't they doing it? Danielle McLean?
2: Well, I've got one thing that they did do um, that is maybe me scratch your is head. Is it a really weird,
0: freaky thing?
2: <laughs> well, they got they got rid of the language in um, their reform bill last year. They got rid of the language that would um, that allows uh, reduced fare transfer fees from bus to subway. Um, I'm not 100% sure if they've enacted on that and if they got them rid of those reduced fees, fares, but they um, got rid of the language. Um, it was very clear. Um,
0: Anyone know if that, Andy, has that fallen by the wayside, reduced fare transfers? I, I believe
3: I? the fare increase that they voted on in March included a new uh, bus-to-subway-to-bus transfer. Or maybe I have the, is it bus-to-subway-to-bus and not subway-to-bus-to-subway? To to subway. It's a high degree of Maybe difficulty. you could do both. Yeah. It's one or the other. Um, so to that extent, the control board has increased... What your fare will, how far your fare will. Danielle,
0: take. why does that strike you as odd?
2: Well, I talked to a lot of residents who, um, you know, commute to Somerville and commute to the area and commute to Boston. Um, they take they go take the train to South Station. They take go from South Station, take the bus, South Station, they take it to Somerville, take it to Arlington, um, or just different stops in the area. Um, they a lot of them are low wage workers who can't really afford the extra. You know, the extra cost to take the su- you know—the pay double for the subway and for the bus each day—it's very costly, and it's you know, they don't get reimbursed for it
0: through their job. Anyone else have any examples of either weird bits of non-action or action?
1: One thing that I'll say that as I've covered the tea and kind of gotten more and more into it, the things that seem like simple solutions—if we go back to last winter—it was well, why don't you just run the snow trains all the time? run trains to keep snow off the, the tracks. Remember the video
0: of that one train? It was like the Norwegian train or the Finnish <laughs> yeah. train or something. It was the the Ur train. or exactly. train, yeah.
1: And people said, oh, they used to run them all the time and this never happened before. But then you, you realize that you, know, you can't do this for a myriad of reasons. Uh, and one thing I have discovered, that shock, running a, real, a railroad is extremely difficult and extremely complicated. Uh, the the easy solutions that a lot of riders may think just to put in, why, why don't you change this to the schedule? Why don't you change this funky thing in Kingston the commuter rail does? Why don't, why don't you change this? Why don't you change this? Would have a cascading effect on the rest of the T and the rest of the service. Uh, I don't think that the Baker administration really had a lot of low-hanging fruit to do. In January 15, in February 15 to, to make a lot of quick changes
0: One thing they could have done And this gets back to the point that uh, Jim raised a few minutes ago One thing they could have done is said We are going to allocate some new Revenue streams to make the T You know, to, to fix it To fix the things that are not working as well as they should be And to expand it And Jim, you lavish praise on some people Who you said you would have appointed If you were governor, Stephanie Pollack And Joe right? Um but my sense, and I could be wrong, is that they are not doing all the things that uh, people like you might have expected them to do in a hypothetical scenario where you were governor and you appointed them. So um, are, are, you, are you dismayed? Well, I know you are dismayed. I don't even think I should throw it at you. Why hasn't the Baker administration decided to put some extra revenue toward these problems? I mean, I'm. You're not dismayed.
4: I'm a pessimist by nature, so right. which is which is good because that means in life you are rarely disappointed, right? Think um, I, I think that it's always difficult to have that conversation about revenue. I have tried in some of what I've been writing for Combo Magazine, for example, to offer up ways in which you could free up revenue without having to raise anybody's fares, fees, or taxes. You can transfer debt. Away from the T to the Carmelo, you can flex more highway dollars away from highways to the T. What's the
0: T's debt burden right now, by the way? Uh, Current figure, roughly five
4: billion dollars. Okay. So you could you could take steps that would uh, that would free up cash for the T without having to raise taxes, fees, or fares. And all we've done, unfortunately, is raise fares. Fares never seem to be off the table. And, and we've got to break out of that cycle. It's an old cycle. It's a cycle that somehow says um, that you can always pay more for a service that doesn't provide more. But we would never do that to you if you were in a car. We would never do that to you if you were in another mode. We've got to break out of that cycle. Well,
3: I'd, I'd just say, too, that the T did raise revenues by $42 million with with the fare hikes. That'll go towards that uh, state of good repair Gap and they just sat back and Cambridge and Somerville came up with 75 million for the Green Line extension, but there's still a 75 million dollar hole. And you know, Somerville and Cambridge dug deep, and all they came up with 75 is 75 million. So there's a there's a big uh, hole in the budget for the Green Line extension.
0: Do you think that if Governor Baker makes it through his first term and is reelected, and right now it honestly doesn't look as if any credible democrat is going to take him on but that's a conversation for another time do you think that in a second term he might get a little more ambitious uh and i know you know he might say he's being ambitious when it comes to making the current system run well and that is a huge job as you pointed out mike but might he get a little more ambitious and talk about you know any one of the things that we've heard about for years for example extending the blue line to lynn or uh uh, you know, extending the commuter rail to various points that's supposed to go to, or even something kind of what, what's the, the, uh, the idea that, that is out there about bringing a new type of vehicle to that grand junction space? What's it called? I'm, I'm forgetting diesel. my yeah, diesel, diesel. What's the diesel, diesel. diesel multiple units? Diesel multiple units, units. thank you. Uh, do you think we'd see that sort of innovation, or uh, Andy, you're frowning skeptically. You don't think that's Governor Baker's cup of tea?
3: I don't have a poker face. Um, I, uh, I think that there are some things that are just kind of happening that are going to happen. There's that station that'll be right near the GBH studios that New Balance yes. is helping Boston build. Landing. Boston Landing. Boston Landing. Um, I am, and, and I think there are things that the governor's looking to get done. If By the possible. way, Boston
0: Landing, sorry to, to backtrack, but that's in part privately subsidized, right? At, at least in part. New Balance's. Is it in full? Thank you. Thank you. So that's. An interesting model.
3: I would imagine Sorry. that's more what he's looking for to than, <laughs> than the MBTA and Massachusetts taxpayers kick in however many hundreds of millions of dollars for a project. But, but I, I think there will be new things that open up. I mean, that for one example. But I don't know. I, I wish
0: I could convey the... Riness on your face when you said you think that's more the sort of thing he's looking for. Words don't do it justice. Um, Mike, Danielle, thoughts?
1: I I mean, does does more ambitious mean he would try to raise taxes? I think that's probably no, especially before his reelection. Is there going to be a push from the legislature, Democrats in the legislature, to maybe look at the sales tax again, look at the gas tax, look at a mileage tax, look at any of the different scenarios that we've kind of played around with before, I guess throughout the Patrick administration, uh, to get roads and bridges and the T and transit expansion taken care of. I don't know if politically Charlie Baker needs or wants to do that. I don't know what he gains from that because he can just run against these tax-raising Democrats the way Republican governors have for, you know, the eons now.
0: i got to just hop in with, with an aside. Do we know if Charlie Baker ever takes the T? Like, there, remember there was all that talk about getting him to take it?
3: you ever see him in I was going to ask I've you. Never, you'd be the one to know.
0: He doesn't spend a lot of time. I live on the bad side of town, so I don't see the governor much. But ha, has he ridden the T? Do we know? Was there any sort of well-publicized? I remember when Mitt Romney rode the T. I I actually was there to, to watch, and it was kind of great. But, <laughs> um, but I'm, I don't know that Charlie Baker's done it. I, and I saw like him
3: ride the Green Line from Government Center to Park Street when they reopened uh, Government Center.
0: We have members of the audience raised, so I want to actually um, give... give. Oh, uh, Dave, do you want to hop on up, introduce yourself? Well, come, come and take the microphone and say who you are. Actually, take mine, because I think it's a little fancier.
6: I have a question maybe Jim knows. I'm Dave Perry. I read a blog about the, uh, the framingham Worcester uh, commuter rail line. And, and maybe, Jim, know and, and this is a, a response to your question about is Charlie Baker going to do anything about the revenue source? My question is, how many people use the MBTA out of the total population? And is it politically, politically expedient? If I was a political advisor for Charlie Baker, I would say, you know what? Screw those MBTA riders. There's more people that don't ride the MBTA that don't want you to spend money on the MBTA.
4: 75% of the state's population... Uh, is covered by the MBTA Service District. So when we think about uh, the the folks who are citizens and residents of the Commonwealth who are served or could be served by the T, it's pretty much three-quarters of our population. So we need to think about that as we think about how we invest in public transportation. The reality is that we have biases about public transportation that are old 20th century biases, And the reality is also that people in this century want to have different options, more options, multimodal options, and are more willing to consider public transportation, just as they're more willing to consider cycling and and walking in urban environments. And I think that's the transition that we need to be thinking about. Um, It's not this governor. It's, it's, It's every governor since Mike Dukakis, to be perfectly honest, who has not candidly addressed the kind of issues that need to be addressed when it comes to investment
0: in our, in our public... Are you including system. Mike Dukakis in there? No, I said since him. Since him, okay. All right. Uh, we have uh, several audience members, actually, who want to hop in. So please, when you take the microphone, just introduce yourself. If you have an organization you're affiliated with, please say what it is and then fire away. China
5: before we move on from that point... Mike, thanks. Before we move on from that point and start a new discussion thread, I just wanted to uh, weigh in Brad Rawson from the city of Somerville. Um, you know, back in 2011, we were at the last crossroads in the Green Line story. We were about to lose the project. Uh, there had been a risk analysis done, and it seemed that the T had underestimated the time uh, and the complexity associated with getting the tea, uh, getting the Green Line off the ground. And it was actually really, really interesting because politically we understood, uh, in Mayor Curtatoni's office, that the environmental justice argument, the really important arguments about environmental equity About public health That started the whole Green Line conversation 35 years ago Needed to be changed a tiny bit. We are coming out of the recession, and the mayor asked our staff to start helping think about the upside, the fiscal argument for the Commonwealth as a whole for investing in public transit. Now, the city of Somerville is not the only research institution that has done this work. Right? You've seen the Dukakis Center. You've seen the ULI. You've seen a greater, uh, a better city do these types of studies. But the numbers that we ran in partnership with the MBTA suggested at the time, and we have since reinforced those numbers four years later, that is. It costs the commonwealth More to not build The green line Than to build it And the reason is That real estate development To Danielle's points earlier uh, Generated by public transit investment, uh, returns roughly 10 for $1. So uh, we've done conservative runs that show over 25 or 30 years, you're talking about $3 billion of net fiscal proceeds to the Commonwealth in the forms of new income taxes from new jobs created, um, from new real estate taxes to the local governments, um, from hotel and meal taxes, from MBTA uh, ridership fairs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, there's actually a, a spreadsheet. We've tried to crowdsource this thing, knowing how many people are plugged into this world uh, around the community, so if you get onto MAPC, the Metrop- Metropolitan Area Planning Council's website, and you Google, you know, green line extension value capture, um, we pushed our pro forma, our financial model, onto the web, and are asking people to help us peer review it. So you can actually run the numbers yourself. It's super transparent, and the idea is how much new revenue is generated by the North Point development in East Cambridge. How much new revenue to the localities and to the Commonwealth is generated by the Union Square development here in our
0: backyard in Somerville. Um, so it's an important part of the conversation, and sometimes it gets lost. Thank you for that. I want to keep the questions coming. We have, uh, come on up. Um, I think he's first, and then you can follow up. You want to shoot? Uh,
7: so my name is Mark Ibunya, and I'm the co-founder of the transit advocacy group, uh, Transit Matters. Uh, and I think what we've seen across the country is this, and, and including Massachusetts, is this appetite for uh, <laughs> this appetite for for transit investment. And even if it does have to come from the local level, um, what a, a very a very two very successful fiscal models that have worked uh, on the in the West Coast, uh, including uh, value capture, is also the local ballot initiative, which is something that uh, we in Massachusetts don't exactly have the ability to do, and that's something that. A few other advocacy groups, including t 4 uh, the Transportation for Massachusetts, uh, is currently exploring and, and and positioning to to push into uh, the next uh, pos- policy initiatives. Is the fact that that we have an appet- we clearly have an appetite for transit, and we clearly have uh, municipalities that are willing to put in money for investing into the the expansion of systems and an improvement of systems in their region, in their in their districts but the the fact remains is where do we have to keep going to the state level uh for transit investment if it's just transit that's only going to be serving i guess this the city of Somerville um, can i so, answer that question
0: absolutely I've, actually, I've bef- actually be- before you before you answer that I, mike dean had a really good idea which is asking people who ask questions to say how they got here. So, uh. how'd you get? How'd you get here? So,
7: I actually rode the Orange Line and the CT2 with Jim Aloisi, and we did a we did a ride along, and <laughs> we explored the fact that. Uh, that if we had take if the Green Line extension were on track for completion today, we we might have been able to take the Green Line from Haymarket where we started our ride all the way out to Union Square. But uh, alas, we ended up having to take two two different modes, which is fine. I'm happy with doing mul- multimodal. We could have also done Hubway, but uh, that, that wouldn't have been so great for the uh, for the interview. So uh, we did a ride along.
0: All right, Jim, briefly, you wanted to answer a question. Let's get That's more okay. questioners in here. Okay, so I saw some hands up out there. Yeah, coming up.
8: Hi, thank you. Uh, Alan Moore. I'm a s- resident of Somerville. I'm co president of the Friends of the Community Path and also a member of STEP, the uh, advocacy organization for the Green Line, among other things. I wanted to make three quick points. One of them was just made by the uh, former speaker about other metropolitan regions that are able to raise money where politically an entire state is not ready to do that, that I think we need here. Um, but a quick point related to revenue, I don't know if most people know this, a lot of people, if they go to Europe or they hear stories about people going to Europe and how wonderful mass transit works there is, in general, of course it varies from place to place, in Europe they spend about twice as much money per capita on infrastructure, including transportation infrastructure. So they can, you, that, you know, that's a lot of money. If we suddenly were spending twice the amount of money on transportation, we could do a lot. And the last point I wanted to make is related to your question about what has the, the governor's administration not done. Um, before the recent votes on the Greenland Extension, and a large group of uh, stakeholders uh, got together and made a very long list of ways that uh, costs could be saved on the Greenland Extension and the Community Path Extension, presented those. Some of them uh, have been uh, implemented in the reduced scope and the reduced cost, but a lot of them... Uh, never were. We haven't heard why not. Did they evaluate them? Were our ideas uh, our ideas not uh, always you know good? Uh, but we're still waiting to hear why some of those other ideas were not implemented, and if they were, including some very important ones on the community path, we believe that the community path could be extended the entire way without going on McGrath for a, a similar cost. And we're waiting for the T to look at these ideas. Thank you. Is there
0: somewhere that people could go to see the ideas that you're talking about?
8: Uh, Yes, both on the uh, STEP, that's the World Transportation Equity Partnership, um, has the ideas that we've put forth uh, for how to extend the community path, as well as the the Friends of Community Path uh, website. Thank you.
3: I, I just wanted to make a point on the revenue issue. Oh, did you want to? And oh
8: just Lynn, want to remind me the the our the Facebook page for the Friends of Community PAP has this information as well.
3: Um, so, uh, the legislature this year advanced a constitutional amendment that would estimated it's estimated to raise two or sorry one point nine billion dollars. It would be a surtax on incomes over a million dollars. It very well could be on the ballot in twenty eighteen. The Governor doesn't have to sign it; he can't veto it it's just a constitutional amendment. This would be a whole lot of money. I mean, like a greater tax increase than i i, I don't know i don't know if ever there was a tax increase quite that large so that would be that'd be a whole uh big revenue influx and Andy remind me what what would those revenues be earmarked for? Well, you're not allowed to really earmark in the Constitution, I, I poli- so the I amendment the, says the that they'd be devoted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd, they'd be devoted to be uh, education for. and transportation subject to appropriation.
0: Thank you. Schools <laughs>
6: trains. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Frieden. I'm um, a resident cyclist of uh, Somerville, and I work in Cambridge. Uh, so one, I'd like to say uh, this kind of a lot of this stuff doesn't really work if we kind of uh, prioritize um, lives over money. Uh, a lot of times, the uh, none of the streets are really safe. Uh, modulus a couple of these streets, but the recent death of uh, a barista in uh, Inman Square has kind of proven that this is uh, a real problem, and a lot of this doesn't really work if uh, we kind of don't prioritize protected bike lanes. Uh, the other thing that uh, I've been to all the uh, Green Line Extension meetings, which were, first of all, for anyone who's gone to them, were fabulous. Um, but uh, And it was great to see public involvement of all this. But the one thing I'd like to, and a lot of stations uh, that were kind of sized down was not really a problem. All, most, a lot of us have been in JP or um, Mission Hill or Alston where um, sized down stations aren't really a problem. We can still deal with them. Their service is still great. Um, or... <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, one of the big things that kind of got glossed over Was the axing of the maintenance facility And this is really uh, a thing that I, I'd love to hear commentary from the panel about What, what do you think the, the repercussions of this are When we kind of hit our hit uh, maintenance of trains Especially things that are twice, twice what their expiration date are
0: Panelists?
3: Well, I could say what, what they decided to do, if I recall, is just build a maintenance facility to take care of the green line trains that would serve the extension rather than uh, building a whole brand new maintenance facility, maybe replacing the one out at Riverside, something closer into the city. So I, I don't really have an opinion on that or really know what the ramifications might be, but uh, it's interesting.
5: Yeah, Andy's spot on. Um, so uh, just like so many elements of the Green Line program, three years ago, the maintenance facility became, I think, a, a gold-plated version of a design that was you know, probably a little bit bigger than, than needed to be. So, again, to the team's credit, they scaled it down. Um, they have said instead of being a regional serving facility, they'll scale it down to simply serve the uh, 24 new Green Line cars that they've already purchased for the extension, and the 20 cars uh, that currently live at the antiquated Leechmere station. So they got a 44-car layout uh, that saves them, gosh, f- $40, 50000000 million. Dollars. One thing that they've tried to do is try to maintain the flexibility so that 10 years from now, if they need to upsize it, they have that flexibility. They've already bought the land. That's another painful reality uh, for Somerville. Uh, but, yes, they are essentially scaling that down.
0: All right, I think I see a few more people out there who still want to ask questions. There's a gentleman in the back. You want to mosey up here?
9: Yeah, I'm um, Wig Zamor. I'm a founding member of Mystic View Task Force that worked on Assembly Square with Orange Line Station and also founding member of uh, STEP that's been talked about before.
0: And because the previous questioners have shirked their responsibility, how you yes. get
9: here? Well, I left my house by foot at 7.30 this morning, and I walked here... <laughs> And in between, I've been on bus, red line, orange line, and hitched a ride, but not driven my own car. (laughs) Okay, so is that all right? Okay, so I I wanted to pick up a couple threads. First on revenues, you know, we have the oldest uh, rail-based urban transit system in the country, and alone of the leading-edge economies, state economies, we have not raised Funding substantially, so if you go to APA API, American Petroleum, or another website, look at gas taxes, fuel taxes you 'll find California, state of Washington, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania all raised substantial funding in the last fifteen years. We did not, so we have a bigger gap between our practice and our and our philosophies, I think than they do. Um, another point with regard to spending on transit versus roadways, you know. We spent 21 billion on the Big Dig. We added 50,000 vehicles per day of capacity at Assembly Square. We built a T stop for under 50 million, the first in 30 years. No T money. We took 50,000 vehicles off the roadways. So 21 billion to add 50,000 vehicles, under 50 million to subtract 50,000 vehicles per day. So that that's a pretty simple uh, calculus. Then. Uh, you asked what was really missing in 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 what the Mastot and the T have done and i would say the main thing that's been missing is we're completely overlooking black carbon from diesel that is the number one climate target in california so so black carbon has moved up to number two in climate impact after co2 internationally uh, it's 3,000 ti- 3, times as potent as CO2. It's the number one target in California. They've removed 20 years of CO2 impact by focusing on short-lived climate impact, and we don't even have it in our climate model. And why, why is it not insane to talk about expansion of diesel commuter rail when you don't even have black
0: carbon in your climate model? So just so I'm clear on this, and this is sort of esoteric, but w- would black carbon be generated by diesel expansion. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So why,
9: why we aren't electrifying? <laughs> if we're going to continue to have commuter rail, we need to electrify it as soon as possible. Expansion of diesel is literally insane.
0: Thank you. Uh, you and the... Yes, we, we have a few people. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Excellent. Danielle, hop on in. Can I, I... I just, you know, I'd be
2: remiss if this conversation just didn't include this. The entire reason for the Green Line Extension Project... Is because the uh, state wanted to build uh, the big Dig project and build up a massive highway super highway through the city of Somerville, which created a lot of those um, black diesel you know car you know in fume, those fumes that or those fumes uh, that were you know being being talked about um, this is supposed to be uh, re, you know remediation for the health negative health impacts of the big dig project to the city of somerville that 's the entire reason why this project is being or is, might get built um, I think that's you know that can't be lost in this I conversation
4: just, and I just want, let me just say all the things we're talking about in connection with public transportation tonight extension of the green line we've talked about the pedestrian path safe cycling we've talked about strategic expansion of the system why do we talk about these things why do we do these things it's because they respond to our values as 21st century Greater Bostonians and citizens of the Commonwealth, and and I would just say, if, if this conversation were happening in 1954, we, our values were very different, and so people were responding to those values.
0: What were the different values? I in 1954? I think
4: well, if you, for example, um, people decided that cities were not worth living in, right? And so when you could build an elevated central artery with 34 on and off ramps, it was because you wanted to get people in and out of the city as quickly as possible. It was the vision of America that was that was predicted in the 1939 New York World's Fair, the, 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 the famous Futurama exhibit of General Motors, right? It's all about having a house in the suburbs with a white picket fence and a dog and a place to park your car, Those times have changed. Our preferences have changed. Our desires have changed. Our ways of living have changed. Our values have changed. Our understanding of the impacts of mobility on the environment and clean air have changed. All of the laws that protect us, EPA, the Clean Air Act, these laws were were 1970s era. And so my, my message to people is, if we're going to fix the T, if we're going to have a mobility system that responds to people in our time, we need to respond to our values. That's where we haven't quite caught up to.
10: Uh, I, th- I think actually the last co- conversations uh, dovetail nicely into my comment and question. Uh, my name is Joe Aiello, not that Joe Aiello. It gets uh, confusing. So Especially we both work in transit. I'm younger, I know and Joe handsomer. Joe You are not Joe. <laughs> you are no Joe Aiello, sir. Uh, I, I'm of the Chicago ILOs, Apparently, he's uh, he's East Coast Aiello. Uh I'm a former member of the East Cambridge Planning Team, so I've actually done a lot of work on the Lot Extension. But I am also currently working uh, with Governor Dukakis on the North South Rail Link. Um, so, talking about the electrifying of the of the rail, or you know, things from the Big Dig. So, I, kind of a pseudo question to the panel is that. It seems a lot of conversation going on within some members of the administration, some of the public and the media of the rail link versus South Station expansion and how it pertains to Woodette Circle. It's, uh, some of the early plans for South Station expansion would turn Woodette Circle into uh, kind of an open train yard and that would not make it necessary with the rail link. Uh, there could be potential millions of in perpetuity revenue on, on developments. So sort of just a with that in mind where do you where would the administration go even in like going forward to like Baker's second term if he wants to kind of reach out to like a a legacy project don't you feel just opinion wise that the rail link would actually be and you know my personal opinions aside the easier option because of what it does for developments when it brings to like tax money and revenue for the city and the states
1: I I think that they are now finally maybe the Baker administration, the legislature, a lot of other folks are giving the rail link the look that it hasn't had the last you know 30 years. So you're making progress on there. I think Governor, Governor Dukakis has been a great advocate on that for a long, long time. Um, what uh, remains to be seen in a lot of people's minds, a lot of decision makers' minds, is what happens to the commuter rail while you're digging this, this hole. Uh, I think – you know, South Station expansion is seen as something that can go relatively soon, relative to how transportation projects work. relatively soon to deal with a lot of the capacity issues that the commuter rail faces right now at South Station. Um, you know, Add in the South Coast rail plans into the South Station mess, and it'll get even worse. Yeah. Um, I haven't really heard a very good idea of what happens to commuter rail service in the meantime while we're exploring revolutionary new ways to dig a tunnel between the two stations and when that you know i have no idea how many years more the rail link would take to construct versus expansion and just these things take so long to study and uh they want to do it themselves they're finally getting there
0: so we are actually reaching a point where we need to think about wrapping up so that our producer it's that guy over there with the beard, jason teresky with the headphones on (laughs) He's the one who's going to have to do all the work of turning this into something that people can actually listen to online. (laughs) Um, So I want to think of this as sort of a last call for questions, but actually, not to be too incestuous, but my WGBH News colleague Isaiah Thompson is back there at the bar, and he is a fairly recent transplant to the Boston area. And any time we sit around in the WGBH newsroom bitching and moaning about the tea – um, he stands up and, and sort of declaims aggressively about how short sighted we are. He came here from, uh, Philadelphia, from Philadelphia, right? And, and you like to tell me and others that we're getting it all wrong. So would you be willing to come on up and explain what it is all of us who grumble about the tea are missing?
11: I can't remember my specifics right now. Whoa, boy! What are, what is my point? Let's see. I guess my larger points are: a, I think, I think the T is great. I think it's a great service. I enjoy it. I think it's pretty reliable. I think people over uh, uh, overstate its deficiencies. Isaiah didn't live here two winters ago. Yeah, that's true. Isaiah also doesn't judge people or metro systems on their worst day. Oh, he missed it. He missed it. It was the perfect comeback, and he missed it. Uh, Why don't you say you know, a little bit about some of the work you've
1: done. You've looked at the numbers, uh, especially when it comes to late night, which is something I do think we should hit upon. But you wrote a very good kind of defense or, or at least a, yeah. an analysis of where Boston actually is when it comes to late night rail.
11: Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll use late night as just an example of sort of my larger point. Um Which is, yes, I did think it was extremely short-sighted to to cut the late night. And one of the things when I was going over the figures and the numbers, I mean, you all probably noticed this too if you were following it. The the amount saved by cutting it, by by the end of the reports, which stretched on long after they had cut it, had, had trickled down to a number so small, it's sort of not even clear where it wound up in the ledger. And uh, to deprive a city of, of a cultural asset like that for, for what is essentially pocket change in a year that the governor has flat funded uh, uh, you know, the same system, even though the legislature was probably open to appropriating more money, that's politics. That's not budgeting. And uh, I don't think that was confronted. And I think that if, if uh, as a newcomer, I think that if, if the city's, you know, well, not the city, but if we're not going to be aspirational in this, in this transit system, uh, you, you lose before you start it. What are we saving money for? Awesome.
0: I actually brought you up here to praise the status quo, not to bury it. So if you could
11: <laughs> get back on point. No, 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 that's... Um, and,
0: Adam, I
1: don't want to uh, delay this too, too long, but I do think there is a silver lining on late-night
4: service. Jim's yes, been doing is. some work on that. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you raised that, Isaiah. I think... Um, as you know, uh, we took the, the loss of late-night service, we being myself and my colleagues at Transit Matters, and we came up with an overnight service plan that unlike the, the service that was discarded, is a 24-7 service. And it's significantly less expensive. And we're hoping, we've been working pretty closely with the Fiscal Management Control Board and T-Staff. Um, I'm, I'm hoping, we're expecting that the T will be able to adopt a 24-7 overnight plan and that the greater Boston region, all of us here tonight, will be able to say that we've got a T that never shuts down. Our, our plan is about bus, not subway. It's significantly less expensive, and we're going to prove that you can do more with less.
11: I, I'm pro-bus, by the way.
3: and and the T is actually validating those numbers I I was shocked when I saw what the initial estimates of it to cost were because it's so much less than I would have thought at 24-7
0: I just heard from Jason Teresky our producer that we've reached the bloated one hour mark which is something I promised Jason I would not do because again he has to do all the work whipping this into shape so uh, I want to thank all our panelists for taking the time (laughs) (laughs) thank you being a part of this, and I want to thank everyone in the audience who made the slog here to Union Square. We really, really, really appreciate you being here. Uh, Jason, thank you for all the good work that you do, and please don't be angry at me for uh, making me do a little extra this week. Uh, and I think we'll leave it there. But I would urge everyone in the room to stick around and talk about these or other issues as long as you want. I am going to go home and go to bed because when I have two beers, that's what I have to do. So, um, but thank you. Thank you all.
4: Thank you all. Last train of running between the water With a powerful sign Last running around
0: the hip. Last
1: of leaving all- Out simple. What do you think uh, people should know, and what should people know and take away uh, from your experience with GLX? It's still ongoing. And what you'll know about the benefits that this project's going to bring to Somerville, and why you're fighting the way you are for
12: it. Well, certainly from Somerville's perspective, uh, we've been waiting more than a generation for this project. Uh, but the benefits uh, beyond Somerville, it's bigger than Somerville. I mean, the Green Line extension is the best transit project on the books and it received the highest federal grant ever, a billion dollar commitment, because of what it delivers for the Commonwealth. It unlocks more than 18 million square feet of development, it creates more than a net new 30,000 jobs, it creates more than 10,000 units of housing in a region that needs 435,000 by 2040 in order to remain competitive and make keep it affordable and it adds to the Massachusetts economy $3 billion in new economic activity over the next 25 years There's not a better transit project on the books. And if we can't build a green line extension, which we will get it done, uh, what do we expect to accomplish in Massachusetts? So it it is much bigger. And and most importantly, it brings environmental justice to some of the most underserved and vulnerable populations and neighborhoods for generations who have sucked in the air from I-93 the expanded 28. And we've suffered critical and high rates of heart disease, respiratory illness, premature death. I mean, this is bigger than just transportation. It's about our future. It's about our lives. But the benefits are well beyond some of those borders.
1: What were some of the pros and cons that were being weighed uh, in your talks with the governor, with the MBTA, uh, especially when it came to Somerville really paying quite
12: a significant amount from their own coffers
1: to kind of save the GLX? Sort of what yeah, what's going on in your mind, and what was on in their mind on the other side?
12: Well, in their minds, in all fairness, they're trying to get their arms around a very difficult situation of an agency that's in disarray, and while understanding the great benefits of this project. Uh, and the need to bring expansion and new projects to the Commonwealth to build that 21st century uh, transportation system that meets the needs of a 21st century global economy, but at the same time building what we have up to a good state of repair. How do you get your arms around it, especially with an agency and organization that has limited capacity uh, to deliver these projects, to manage its own way on a day-to-day basis? I think the Commonwealth's making headway, um, and some them in Cambridge took the extraordinary and uh Historic step for communities to offer up 50 million from Somerville, 25 from Cambridge. Uh, we did it because the payoff for Somerville is much bigger than that and it's necessary. And we don't mind going first as communities. I think I can speak for Cambridge, but this, if this is going to be a new policy, it needs to be a new policy statewide. But I think it, this, what occurred and what is occurring around the Green Line extension speaks to what we're missing and the big gap in how we approach major transit pro- transportation projects. Massachusetts—we're not as progressive as we hold ourselves out to be. There are red cities, red states, and red regions who have passed major ballot initiatives, new funding mechanisms to fund the expansion and transportation project in the future because they want to be competitive in the 21st century global economy. They want to be the alpha cities like Boston is to the to the world. So, uh, a question for Massachusetts is: Are we going to be out front? Are we going to lead? Are we going to be progressive? Are we going to be chasing? The next economic wave from behind. And whose real responsibility is it to leave that way? Is it the governor? Is it the legislature? Do you have a specific policy? It's everyone. We all have to be part of that solution. It can't be just the governor, it can't be just the legislature, it can't just be the activists of the cities and towns. We have to understand that our parochial and provincial way of doing things in the Commonwealth doesn't work. It's not about summable. it's not about Boston, it's about Cambridge, it's about all of us. Um, We have a lot of history. It's a lot of it's compartmentalized into our, our, you know, the more than 300 cities and towns in the Commonwealth. Uh, But we need to think regionally and we need to act globally, all right? Uh, That's important. Uh, We need to think bigger than our boundaries and we need to think about our transportation system in the future as how, and when we ask the questions of what kind of Commonwealth we want to be, you know, uh, how are we going to live? Uh, the future of mobility is a question we should be all asking ourselves given the incredible wave of urbanization we're facing in this Commonwealth and in the world today more than half the world's population lives in city regions by 2050 more than three quarters of the world's population in the city regions and I'm not talking about stopping at North Station and the Southeast Expressway the Boston, the rate of Boston region is more, you know, is more than 101 cities and towns and it's the alpha region the most important region in New England and the city regions around the world that can take on the legacy issues such as mobility, sustainability, housing, public health, and, 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 and those are the ones that will succeed, the ones that can see and plan and build up future. The ones that don't are the ones that will fail. So that You're talking a lot about the municipalities' roles.
1: Uh, the region, you know, maybe county level. I think the Senate's taking up Ben Downing's, you know, regional tax plan that would allow regions to, you know, raise their own taxes. Do you have a specific prescription?
12: Well, I think we need to be looking at all those tools. We should be looking at ballot initiatives or how we can regionalize certain communities that would benefit, that would lead the way in a certain expansion project. Also, to value capture We don't do value capture in the problem law. We do it on a very limited basis where there's intense redevelopment. Then we're missing opportunities to leverage that growth in value to build that transportation system in the future. The old way, a traditional way of funding these systems or projects, it's not going to work anymore. I mean, just it's just not going to work. Around the world, uh, countries around the world in Europe and North and South America are doing better than us. Uh, uh, and Massachusetts, and the U.S. is far behind, but Massachusetts is very far behind. We're still trying to be competitive in that 21st century global economy using Nixon-era infrastructure. So relying on traditional ways of funding it, relying on matured mechanisms like the gas taxing that uh, on its own will not work but we need a new paradigm a paradigm that's progressive a paradigm that leverages the value and the growth that we create to reinvest it back into the infrastructure to build a system of the future that helps us live the way we need to live in the 21st century
11: how do you,
1: in that case then, how do you make the case to a you know a suburban or rural lawmaker or their constituent who wants the highway dollars, they want the bridge dollars, they don't want to fix the T because they don't use the T. I uh, I imagine you would think that is short-sighted, but how do you it make is that short-sighted?
12: Case? It is short-sighted because we all benefit from that system. The greater Boston region contributes 80% of the gross product of this commonwealth. It is the most important region economically in this New England region. And if Boston if the region feels we all fail. We are also the sixth most congested region in the United States. Any one of, of those people living in those suburbs, how's it feel coming around 495 or 128 or down Route 2 or Route 3? It's pretty tough. It's only going to get worse. And if we can't move, we can't live. If we can't move, we can't grow. And if we can't, be, if we can't meet the mobility demands of the future, not only is our economy going to be stagnated, our environment's going to continue to deteriorate. This is one commonwealth, one country, one planet. And we all benefit from that system in the future. That's you know, right. when we can't just look at the greater Boston region. We need to look at the regional transportation, the uh, associations, the RTAs around the Commonwealth. Uh, and I think we need to be more progressive on how we connect the major cities around the Commonwealth. How do we connect Boston to Worcester and Springfield and Albany to New York City? How do we get true speed trains from Boston all the way down to D.C.? Uh, you know, the, the way we move is changing rapidly. we got to be ahead of, the, ahead of the wave. Mayor, I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Scrum. Remember, you can find The Scrum on iTunes, on the various podcatchers that the kids are using nowadays, and online at blogs.wgbh.org scrum. As always, you can also email us at scrum at wgbh.org or tweet us. I'm at Riley Adam. Peter Kadzis is at Kadzis. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.